Hello and welcome to the Startups Roundtable. I'd like to start with an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. Here in Sydney, it's the Gadigal people. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. Hi, Tony Hackett is my name and I'm your host at the Startups Roundtable. Today, I am joined by Go Salary co-founders, Tony Vitica and Ben Markovic. In this conversation, you'll get to hear about their depth of experience in the salary packaging space, specifically in the not-for-profit sector. Their customers' financial wellness is the goal, and they share go-to-market insights and a fresh perspective on the role of mentors and coaches. So let's get started and meet Tony and Ben. Hi, Tony. My name's Tony Vitaka, co-founder of Go Salary. We're a not-for-profit and hospital salary packaging organisation. I've been working in the salary packaging industry for over 25 years, which is a long time, which is great. And I'm Ben Markvik. I've joined up with Tony to create Go Salary. I've also got a background in salary packaging, but also a long background in corporate and, and customer service. And I guess what we've wanted to do is create a, a service-focused um, company to to provide a great salary packaging program to the not-for-profit sector, but also build some state-of-the-art technology around it to not only support the service, but make our members and clients' lives easier. Thanks for that introduction. It feels like we've got a number of avenues to explore today from working out how to determine a go-to-market that is very granular to determine a true value proposition for your audience, but also from the technology point of view. And maybe the, the third lever in my mind is we're living in a very particular time when salary packaging might be taking on different nuances than maybe they did six months or 12 months or 18 months ago. But maybe if I could start with the making that decision to actually start, what was it that gave you the confidence or the you saw the opportunity in the market to actually take that step to get underway? Yeah, that's a great question. In our industry, there's been lots of changes over the last, I would say, five years. I worked for over 25 years, as I said before, two companies. Uh, The first company was a company called Remunerator, but I fell into that job where my brother-in-law was actually running that organisation as a general manager. And I was working for my father's business at the time. And then I decided to go work at that organisation there. I then went and worked for another company. One of the chaps that worked there, Jack Jenkins, was at one of the co-founders of another salary packaging company called Advantage Salary Packaging. And I moved over to that organization. It was, I think it was about 2005. And I worked for that organization for 13 years. And there was another owner of the organization, Anton Gordry, there as well. So I had a very good background of salary packaging from two organizations. And then what happened was in 2016, Advantage Surrey Packaging got bought by a listed company, which was called Smart Group. And I stayed on with them for pretty much on two years and a bit. Smart Group and another listed company called Maxia started buying a lot of the Surrey Packaging organisations. I would say over the journey, probably Smart Group bought three or four, maybe even a few more, a few leasing companies. And then what happened was at the time, SmartWork were restructuring the brand of our Advantage and a few other the brands, and they were going down the path of maybe looking at Advantage in a different light. And I was very proud of what Ben and myself and the team and Anton and Jack built at Advantage. I suppose I didn't want to be there 
at the time and where things were changed and we weren't in control. So I decided to leave in March 2018. Uh, And it was funny enough, Ben at the time was working with me as well. And he'd been trying to leave a couple of times. And I sort of tried to convince him to stay while I was still there. And after I resigned, Ben decided to resign as well. At the time, I really didn't know what I was going to do in early uh, April. And I had to think about it. Ben was leaving to go and work for his wife's business, a company called Timber Flooring in Melbourne. And after a week, I thought I've helped two other organisations build their business. And I thought there's a real gap in the market of one from salary packaging point of view of technology, what I thought would really be great in the marketplace, which uh, we can elaborate a little bit later on. And I just thought there was a real uh, niche for another salary packaging company on our values that we had built at Advantage. Ben, question just triggered in my mind. Is this your first time working with a startup? Yeah, it is. So I've been involved, I guess, seeing um, family businesses and successful family businesses, but they've been at the stage that's been further down the, down the track. So yeah, definitely my first time being involved in a startup. And that was part of what grabs me, I guess, when Tony contacted me and said, hey, do you want to get back into the salary packaging game? Salary packaging is great, but one of the really interesting things, I suppose, that Tony wanted to do was uh, introduce that technology element. Uh, I read about startups all the time, technology all the time, uh, avid podcast listener. So uh, that was the part, I suppose, that really was the, the final clincher. And that's been a totally different learning experience for me. Obviously, going into tech and software development from day one with something totally brand new is very different to working in a salary packaging company where you've already got an established book of clients, you know, you've got established processes, systems and the like. So very exciting. But yeah, day one was totally different. And I guess I have a love for tech, but I don't have that background of an actual, I guess, computer science background or a tech mind in in that sense. So I've, I've learned a lot along the way. And what was the first thing that really caught your attention that was different to your expectation, having moved from an established company into being a co-founder? So it was just me and Tony one day, you know, we were either at his house or in the back office of, of my wife's building, which was basically the back of a showroom it, that struck me was how are we going to design the administration software that we use, which is also our member and client facing software. And that's fine. Tony understands the design and and databases and uh, everything that goes into it. But for me, I basically needed it drawn up in front of me. Yeah, I needed to see it physically on on the screen or on paper about how the architecture worked and and where our focus was. So it wasn't as simple as in my mind, oh, yeah, we'll just build something and you click here and it does this and you click there and it calculates that. Way you've described it just reminded me of a, a comment that came out of a question with a, a previous guest, and I posed a question around a startup, and it, he basically said it's a grind, and you've just got to be up for the grind. I wasn't saying that in a bad, negative way, but it's just like you got to turn up for work every day. There's no one else to do the work. You've got to keep getting that done. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, it's every every tiny little thing. And look, we were very hands on where we were, but I suppose there were little, you know, in in our previous roles at different companies. But I guess yeah, there's certain things that you take for granted when something's already established. Uh, it can be something as real simple as if someone needed something signed on letterhead. Oh, we actually need a letterhead design, for example. You know, uh, and also I guess as a technology user and um, you see so many fantastic products and online services out there and I always gave a lot of thought to the stories behind them but not actually how they were designed so 
You know, it's not as simple as you speaking to the developers and asking them to create something to click here. That'll have a ramification to, to do something somewhere else. So yeah, grind is right, but uh, it's a fun one as well. Tony, you spoke about the way you described the development of your thought process to start the company. It reminded me of a, a book that I read some time ago. I think the title was called The Granularity of Growth. And it felt as though you were describing a, a very tight market or niche that by understanding the niche, you're able to work out your value proposition to that niche. If that's close to true, could you maybe share some of the processes that you work through to actually turn the universe into that target market for you? Obviously, we start with a, a blank canvas, which is the, I suppose, makes it very easier for us to build something because we don't have to worry about data migrations and so forth. So we had to start with a clean canvas and then we just started with a whiteboard and we decided, first of all, whether we were going to stick with our target market that we were in the industry before. And that was a quick decision. Let's stick to what we re- know really well, which are the charities and public hospitals. And then from there, we really just did it step by step, worked out what are the pain points of what to do to set up a Surrey package, and then really just went from there. The really impressive thing that I thought that we were able to achieve is that we registered the business in April 2018 and pretty much got to work straight away with the scope. The scope took about 12 weeks or a little bit more to actually uh, complete that scope. The first bit of code we actually started cutting was September 2018, and we had our first prototype and ready to go to market September 2019, which was a great effort by everyone. That's very impressive. The ability then to start to get underway and then to build in such a way, I'm going to make an assumptive statement and ask you a commentary here, to be able to adjust, as in we've just had the budget come out last night, there are a whole lot of things happening in the economy and just in society. How do you then start to phase and to develop your roadmap or the technology to map what you think the vision is for the company? It was interesting, Ben, would be it would be fair to say, Ben, ben we had our ups and downs of our journey of the scope was only supposed to take three weeks, by the way. <laughs> and through the project and through the, the phase is, we changed quite a few things that went down one path. We went down the agile process because if we didn't go down the agile process, we could have been developing for three years and we needed to get something to the market because we knew there's a real need for our platform. There's not really many salary packaging platforms out in the marketplace that's fully open where it's just like a bank. So we can set up people's packages. Uh, we can change bank accounts. People have got access to all the documents that they upload. They can design their package from way to go within about three to four minutes. It would be fair to say that we probably changed the path that we were going down. I'll give you one example. We've got a dashboard page and that dashboard page probably changed 50 times. So from when we first designed what we wanted, we had heaps of things on it and we thought, oh, then it was a little bit too confusing. Let's peel it back. Let's just stick to what that we think the members want. And then we used families and friends who had no ideas of salary packages to have a look at the system. We got them to test it. They came up with ideas. They came up with some bugs that we found. So it was a real great journey and very exciting. 
Tony, I've got a feeling that uh, when you said 50, in Ben's mind, he's going, you're kidding, right? It wasn't 50, mate. It was a lot more than that. But anyway, we won't dig into that today. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. You raise a good point, Tony, about, you know, the budget, for example. So our software is built, uh, it's on salary packaging, so it's all about tax. And there's incredible levels of complexities around the reporting. So yeah, it looks fantastic for our members and clients, but they don't see all the background, which is uh, what we use for our reporting, yet compliance and that kind of thing. So it needed to be totally future-proof when it comes to things like tax rates, FBT rates and the like, we need to be able to, I suppose, with, with very little notice, update everything in the back end so that it can be adaptable to any changes that might come out at a federal level. The key area is that when we started, we said to ourselves, what do we want to really focus on? And, and there was a couple of key ones is obviously privacy is a big one from the point of view of data. So all of our database, all the key data is encrypted, which is a must. The second point of view is also privacy from the point of view of what information that you're sending out and around. And what we've developed there is a portal pretty much like MyGov, where basically all the sensitive information, all the documentation that you upload is all done through your portal, which is through like a secure email box so that you can send your stuff to us or we can send your documents to yourself in a secure format. Because what we found in some of the industries is that what people were doing is emailing people documents that had their bank accounts, that might have had their salaries, that had their address, had what they were packaging. And if that person was on leave, that maybe that email might have got sent to someone else and they would be able to see that information. Privacy and security is something that's very front of mind for me in my day role but also just a a general topic. And I was interested in the cybersecurity strategy, and I'm sure you've seen these documents over the last four, six weeks that the federal government has put out, where it's about not just companies needing to be conscious of what they need to do, but being responsible for their supply chain and their customers. So what you've just hit on is really, really key. How do you stay in front of that curve? What helps us greatly is, I suppose, collaborating with other advisors, other businesses, a few other other startups and the like, I guess, when you're sharing these ideas and hearing how other people do things. I mean, we can all, we all read about cybersecurity and it's very much a topic of conversation. It's a topic of conversation with every client in every prospect meeting and even with our existing clients. And we've taken a real front foot in our approach to cybersecurity. But what really does help, I find, is speaking to others, see what they're doing, hearing about I suppose, challenges that they may have had and what they're planning for for the future. And people are really open to talk about it, especially in something like cybersecurity and privacy, because it's, I guess, an area which benefits everybody, if it's right. I mean, I don't think anyone wants to see another business hit the front page because of a, you know, a privacy breach or a cybersecurity attack. Tony, you mentioned a moment ago about the development process of the the first rev of your portal, and you were talking about weeks and months, and it reminded me of a major tech company that, I don't know if they still do it this way, but they used to have a cycle from somebody writing on a whiteboard to producing a product of 10 years, large brain people in a room scratching on whiteboards, and five years later, that would become something in a lab, and five years after that, it would become a delivery. And if you live in that world, what you described feels like the passing of a moment, yet for you, it felt like a long period of time. If you're doing a 10-year from idea to delivering something, then looking for trends and directions is a certain process. Where do you look to for trends and guidance as to what the next one, two, and three years are for you? 
I very much keep up to date with what's happening in the industry. I very much follow all the other competitors of what they're doing from the point of view on social media and so forth. But I suppose what we're trying to do, we're trying to set the benchmark and set the goal and be one of the leaders. Even though the new player on the market, we want to be doing something new that no one's ever done before, even the few listed companies. So our point of view is we really look within and just see how we can keep improving things and keep improving things with our system. I'll give you an indication is that even though we went live September 2018, we're continuing our development. Our programs are still on. We had a a decision on what we were going to do to go live and what were our goals for those to go live in September 2019. We met those goals, but pretty much we've been developing ever since. And we've been putting new versions into the system each week. So there's new things that we're putting in all the time. And We've got a system that we keep track of. We, we use a great system called Backlog of all the things that we would like to see happen to the system. Any idea that we come up with, we put on that list and we've still got 500 ideas or 500 jobs that we would like to do in the future, which is a great point of view of, yeah, we've got a great product now, but imagine in one year or two years' time, it'll be absolutely unbelievable of what it can do. When I looked at your website, there was a whole lot of interesting information. There was a single word that actually jumped out to me and was the word wellness. In looking at a site that is in your market and what you're looking to do, I don't think I expected to see that word and it was meaningful to me. Could you maybe go through what was in your mind when you built that into your narrative and also what you want people to think when they see that and hear that from you versus anybody else saying that? Wellness is something that we, we take seriously, we want to take an education approach to salary packaging and tax and the like. And even though we don't provide a financial advice service, it's something that we still want to provide the best possible education out there through the use of videos and fact sheets and the like. And we feel that people can take their financial wellness very seriously and, and that then obviously flows on to their general well-being. There are other services we're looking at providing with partners as well to explore other things related to that. And that's something we wanted to do from day one as well. We wanted to broaden the scope outside of salary packaging, make it more of a financial wellness approach. And we're finding that uh, we're able to do that with some key partners and we're selecting them very carefully. But from first interaction that somebody has with us, we want them to feel looked after, cared for and educated and just help them understand about something which is quite a tricky topic and not many people have a great deal of experience in the area. You mentioned partners, Ben. When you think about that as a key cog in your go-to-market, how do you look for and determine the style or the type of partner that you're looking for now? We're looking for partners, I suppose, with similar service values to ours. You know, that, that's the main thing. We treat our every member and every client we treat with a great deal of care. And we expect that from our partners as well. So if we're going down the uh, the path of providing another financial service to them, we need to make sure that we're fully aligned on that service and care and, and education approach. I wonder if maybe just in closing, and happy to have maybe even both of you speak to this, when you think about mentors and coaches, what are the sorts of things that you would suggest to somebody else looking for a mentor or coach that they should look for based on your experiences and your your knowledge? Maybe, Tony, if I could start with you. It's an interesting one. 
I've had a few mentors over the journey through life, and one of them was in the early stages working for my father, which was uh, very much eye-opening. He, he was a chap who came to Australia with pretty much his bag on his back, and he built a business in the construction civil engineering industry and at a point grew to a, a team of 200 people. Then I went down another financial path of after I left him and went and worked at Remunerator and Advantage. At Advantage, I saw two great operators, very different in personality, which was Anton Gordry and Jack Jenkins. Spoken to Jack a few times and sort of just kept in touch. I value Anton's mentoring and chats that I have with him, which is uh, really great. And I find the use of mentors, look, it's, it's really important. I love speaking to people. I love learning from people. And I guess what I would say is it doesn't, it, it does sometimes help for it to be a structured relationship with a mentor. It definitely helps and it can keep you on target and it can keep your appointment, but it doesn't necessarily need to be always that. I've found I've had a lot of benefit from just having conversations with, you know, established business owners, for example, at a barbecue. And then I've contacted them a few times after that and that kind of thing. And people are more than willing to help. But that hasn't necessarily been a structured mentor relationship, as valuable as I think that is. And the other thing that I also find super important is to speak to those from different industries because people are doing different things. You get a whole range of information. So, you know, I've got friends that might work for startups abroad that are doing incredible things in, in technology. And then you've got people that have established businesses in Australia in retail, for example. So just getting a huge range of knowledge and uh, experience, yeah, gets the brain ticking and is very beneficial. Obviously, we've got lots of connections and lots of people that we know. And through the journey, whatever, if it's who we're going to host from, who we're going to use for our phone system, I've got lots of people that I know in lots of industries. So I've really reached out to them. But also, I think Ben would agree with this. My greatest supporter has been my wife, Danielle, and she's been through lots of businesses and industries. She actually worked with my father as well. I always come home and she hears more about go selling than probably she'd like to, but we bounce things off each other and, and she gives me guidance every day. And I'm glad you added that in, actually. There's a, a richness to what our family brings to our life and our own wellness, not just your companies. So that's that's a really valuable ad. So thank you. It's been brilliant meeting both of you today and to hear a story that is focused on a customer that you understand the problems they're looking to solve and where your value sits. That level of focus and understanding, that was brilliant. I think it really came through in the conversation. So I appreciate you both taking the time today. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for your time, Tony. Thank you. Some great lessons learned from Tony and Ben. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And that's it for today. Feedback is always appreciated. Thanks for listening and bye for now.